Let's pray together. Father, as we look into your word, speak to us again today. Thank you for all your blessings to us. Thank you for the blessing of your word and your spirit that takes these words that were written in a different context, in a different country, a different land, a different time period, but they become alive to us. And Spirit of God, we ask that you would do that again today. Make them alive to each one of us. That we may be blessed by what we read and how we meditate on your word today. Bless us. Speak to us. Go deep within us. May you find that you are scattering in fertile soil of our lives today. That these truths would take root and bring transformation and beauty in our lives we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Who was your best teacher? Your best teacher. If you think back to your, your school days or whenever, who was, turn to the person near to you and tell them who that, who that teacher was. Who was your best teacher? The one that you liked the most out of all the teachers you've ever had. Who was it? Then I, then I want you to tell the person next to you why they were the best. What made them like stand out above every other teacher that you've ever had? What, what made them special? Who we got here? Who's going to share? Who's your, who's your favorite teacher? Don't have to. It's all right. Who's your favorite teacher? Anybody want to share? Mr. Davis, your maths teacher. Why? He took time with you because you had no idea what he was talking about most of the time. At the end, you did because he just... He had patience and compassion, long-suffering, <laughs> endurance to the end. Yeah. So, okay, awesome. Who else? Anybody else? Anybody else remember a teacher? Your science teacher? Because she made you have faith in yourself. Your form teacher, she said you can do it. Right, awesome. Your primary school teacher, what age, what year? Fourth year, Mrs. Marston. She was patient and fair. I want you to think about those for a minute, those people. You've all got somebody, I'm sure. You'll remember someone. You can't remember most of your teacher's names, can you? But there's a few that you will remember. Just hold on to that, in a, and we'll come back to it in a moment. We've been looking together, haven't we, about, through the Gospel of Mark, about Jesus, who was the one who, if I can get this working, no, 
Where's it not? Hang on. Jesus is the one that Mark describes or answers that question in Mark chapter 4. Remember, he's in the boat. There we go. He's in the boat, and they're going across to the other side of the ocean. Jesus says, get in the boat, go across the Sea of Galilee, and this huge storm comes up. And the waves start coming over the boat, and Jesus is fast asleep in the back of the boat. And, and they're trying to, they're fishermen, so they're used to the storms in the Sea of Galilee. But it's getting so bad that the boat's starting to sink. And finally, Peter has the courage, and he goes, Jesus, wake up get up, like, don't you care? We're all drowning here and you're fast asleep. I don't even know how you can sleep through a crisis. It's like those irritating people on airplanes, you know, that are fast asleep and you can't sleep at all. You know those people? I never sleep on airplanes, hardly ever. And there's all these irritating people next to you that are, and you just think, oh, come on. And Jesus is like that. You're going through this crisis moment and then he's fast asleep. And so they wake him up and he just gets up, doesn't he? And he says, wind, waves, be still. Be calm. That's it. Boom. And then, and then they all like were terrified, it says. And they look at each other and said, who is this guy who's in this boat with us? Who is he? And Mark's gospel answers that question. In fact, he answers it right at the very beginning. He says the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And he said he's the Messiah and he's the Son of God. And really, Mark unpacks that throughout the gospel by saying that he is the one who has authority. Just as Matthew finishes all authority has been given to me, Jesus says. Now go make disciples. Mark unpacks it, and you'll see through the whole Gospel of Mark, he, sh he shows us that Jesus is the one who has authority. And we saw last week, as we looked at it, that Jesus has authority over our temptations. That Jesus was the one who went into the wilderness, was tempted by the devil, but he didn't give in. He said no to all the temptations, and we looked at how we might follow his example. But we're going to carry on our reading from there, in Mark uh, 1, 21, so Jesus has just come back out of the wilderness, and Mark picks up the story. It says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. I asked you a question, who was your best teacher? To me, the best teachers have two things. One they have a love for what they're teaching. Like some teachers, I'm sure that when they started, they had a real love for it, but the kind of love kind of goes a bit stale after a while. After you've taught it the one millionth time to the one millionth class, you're kind of like, oh, and they just go through the motions and they come in and they do their pre-assigned you know, lecture or whatever for the day and then they go away again. And you know in their heart, they're there and you, you figure they must really have loved the subject to do it, but... You don't see it in them, right? And you can tell, can't you? The teachers that really love their subjects still and were passionate about their subjects. Doesn't matter whether you're primary or secondary or at university. You can tell the ones that love the subjects because there's something within them. There's a passion there for it. But not only that, the teachers that you remember are the ones that, in a sense, have authority like Jesus. It says Jesus was one who had authority, and the people were amazed because of that authority. Now, the authority means this. It comes from the Greek word, exousia, which means like a freedom, a freedom to teach it in a way that helps you to understand. 
So they would go outside the box of teaching because they're so passionate about it that they want you to understand what they're doing. And they'll go the extra mile to make sure that you get it. And Jesus was one who had that kind of authority. The teachers of the law used to just stand up and used to go, now, what's one times one? One, good. You're, you're on the ball here. One times two. One times three. One times four. Two times four. Mr. Allison. Eight. Good man, you know. And they used to, and you remember when we went through school, you just had to repeat it, right? And over and over again, you had your times table. That was like the teachers of the law. They would just say, right, recite after me. This is the law. This is the law. You know, you have to honor your minister. This is the law. You have to respect your pastor above all people. This is the law. Repeat after me. I will respect my pastor. Repeat after me. I will respect my pastor above all people, for this is the law. I'm not hearing you here. What's going on? Right? And you'd repeat it over and over again, right? That's what you would do until it went in there. But you didn't, you didn't have to understand it. You just had, you knew it, right? Jesus, what did he do? He said, let me tell you a story. There was this guy that was walking from, to Jericho, on the Jericho Road. And he got done in by a group of thugs. They were probably Wildstone supporters or something. You know, dodgy crowd, dodgy crowd. You know. And then this priest comes along. And he sees this guy that's struggling there by the side of the road. But he crossed over to the other side and he just kept on walking. And then there was this other guy who was like a teacher of the law, a Levite. He came along. He's one of God's special people. And he saw this guy struggling on the side of the road. You know what he did? He crossed over the other side of the road and just kept on walking. He said, I don't want to get involved. And Jesus said, then there was this Samaritan outcast guy, a guy that you wouldn't even think of. He's just come from, from begging outside of Tesco's. And he comes along and he sees this guy who's in trouble. And he goes over and he bandages him up and he helps him and he puts him... And he says, hey, come with me. And he says, lean on my shoulder. And they struggle along. And he takes him to the nearest B&B in Weldon Crescent. And he, he says, I'm going to pay for it. You just look after him. That's how Jesus taught. And everybody was like going, never hear this kind of teaching. Repeat after me. I will respect my minister above all things. That's all they knew, right? And then Jesus comes along. And what else did he do? He said, uh, Look at this little child. Bring him up here. See this child? The child, the kingdom of God belongs to these people. He, he got people, right? He got situations. Hey, look at the things around you. He picked up things. Look at these seeds. Unless this seed dies, it's never going to, right? And he used things. And people were just amazed at the one who taught. He taught with authority. Because he knew what he was saying and he was able to use everything around him to teach the message. The teachers we remember are like that, aren't they? They did something different. They weren't like all the normal teachers. They, they made a difference and Jesus was one who taught with authority. But let's go on to see this in action because the very next verses, Mark describes the authority. So Jesus is here, he's in the church, in the synagogue, right? Worshipping God, and what happens? 
Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed, they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority, even he even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Amen. You got the picture in your mind? So here he is having a I am blessed. They just finished singing it, right? Tambourines down. And then this guy stands up and screams out at the top of his voice. Jesus, I know who you are, impure spirit. You see, Jesus has authority. Last week we said authority over what? The temptation, the apple. But also, Mark is saying, Jesus has authority in the spiritual realms. Authority over not just the temptation, but where it comes from. The source of the temptation has authority over impure, evil spirits. Jesus has that kind of authority. Let's unpack it a little bit. Just think about it for a moment. Now, Mark describes it like this. There was a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure and unclean spirit. Now, what does it mean? In the Bible, it talks about clean and unclean. What does that mean? Do you know? What does it mean to be unclean? This is time for you to answer now. You didn't answer very well on the minister is above all people, so I'm giving you another chance. What does it mean when it says the Bible says something's unclean? There's some barrier between me and God, right? Now, we need to get out of our heads. Unclean does not mean sinful, right? That's different. So there are four categories. There are righteous in a right relationship with God, and there are sinners, right? Jesus says, I haven't come to call the righteous, I've come to call sinners. Sinners is people that are separated from that relationship with God. But there are clean and there are unclean. That's completely different. You can be clean and... No, sorry, hang on. You can be a clean... It's like one of those little boxes. You can be a clean, righteous person. You can be an unclean, righteous person. Because cleanliness or uncleanliness, is about... Well, let me explain it like this. In the Old Testament, there were four ways that you could become unclean. Number one was touching someone that was bleeding or dead body. The reason the Levite and the, um, and the, the priest didn't touch the man on the road was because if they touched him... So you're unclean, right? You touch me? Touch me. What happens? I contract your uncleanliness and I become unclean with it. Now, if I become unclean, that means I can't go worship in the temple. I can't worship in a synagogue. Because cleanliness is to do with holiness of God. God is holy, right? Separate, apart. And only the clean can come in and worship God. And there was rituals that we have to do. It's like washing your hands and other things, bathing yourself, to make yourself clean. 
So one was touching someone that was dead or dead things. Another thing was eating certain kind of animals or being with certain kind of animals made you unclean. There were unclean animals. Shepherds were unclean because sheep are unclean. And because they dealt with the sheep, they were automatically unclean, right? Um, the third thing was about bodily fluids. So a woman in their period time are unclean because any fluids that are coming out of you make you unclean. Having sexual relationships makes you unclean. Right? That's why it's not sinful. And the fourth thing, which I've forgotten about, is skin diseases. Any type of person with a skin disease or a rash or anything else, you're unclean. Now, unclean people had to go. The idea was that everybody at some point would be unclean, right? You cannot go through life by being clean. You are unclean. So, therefore, everybody needed to go through certain rituals, certain purification things to make yourself clean again, which, which the idea was that you, you then recognize through this constant process about the purity and the holiness of God and where we are. Basically, it was to show you on an ongoing basis your need for God, to remind you who God is, to remind you how otherly and holy and pure and wonderful God is and where we are in relation to God, right? It's not sin. Sin is where you do something or don't do something that breaks the relationship. That's completely different. So the idea was that everybody would be unclean. Now, when you were unclean, you weren't able to come in and worship. Why not? Because if, if, if I'm unclean and I come up and touch you, what happens? You're unclean. You're unclean. You're unclean. I will infect all of you with my uncleanliness just by being here with you. And so there were strict punishments for people who were unclean. If you came to a place of worship and you were unclean, you could be taken out and stoned and killed because you're coming into the very presence of God, which is the holy of holies, the pure presence of God, and you're coming in and you know that you're unclean. So here we have a picture of this man who is in the synagogue and he's unclean, right? Do you understand the significance of this? They should have kicked him out, right? Now, how would he have been there? Well, he wouldn't have been there if they knew that he was unclean. Because if we had had Brian on the door back there as a kind of a bouncer, James on the other door, going like, no, you're unclean. You Get away. You have to stay away. Go clean yourself up. Then you can come in. Make sure you go to a priest, find a priest, when they pronounce your cleansing and that you're, you're okay to come to worship, then you can come in and be with us. But until then, stay away, right? But this guy somehow got in. So maybe he was one of the leaders. Maybe he was somebody that they knew who was already in there. And they didn't suspect a thing. And all of a sudden, this unclean spirit came out of him. Now what happened? What happened? In the story, Jesus said what? He just went, be quiet, rebuke, come out. And what happened to the man? The spirit left, right? 
You see, the thing you have to understand is this. The Israelites thought this. I'm unclean. I touch you. What happens? You become unclean. But you're Jesus. Jesus touches someone that's unclean. What happens? What happens? I become clean. It's not my uncleanliness that affects you, but your cleanliness that affects me. You see, the Jews were petrified, right? They went around in fear. Don't touch that guy on the street corner. Don't, don't do this. Don't, don't go there because I'm going to become unclean and then I've got to go through all this ritual purification and everything else so that I can finally get myself clean again. But what did Jesus do? He went up to lepers and he went, he touched them and said, you're clean. He went to people who were blind and he said, you're clean. He went to people who had impure spirits and he said, you're clean. Why? 1 John 4, 4. Because he that is in us is what? And I can't hear you. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Say it again. Say it to the person next to you. Point at them. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Now, say it like this. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Point at them. Look at them in their face and say it to them. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Say it again. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And again, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Which means what? It means that when you go and touch someone, the presence of God that is in you is greater than whatever is in them. Right? Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? So they may have an unclean spirit. I'm only picking on you because you beat me at tennis all the time. And there's some divine intervention in that that I don't like. Right? It may be that they have an unclean spirit. But he that is in me is greater. I have nothing to be afraid of. Because I cannot be infected by the unclean spirit that is in someone else. Why not? Because he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. I may go to someone who is struggling. I may go to someone who feels like they're on the outside of society. And what happens? I can bring the presence of Christ to them. Why? Because he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Right? The question is, do you build a wall or do you break the wall down? The Jews tended to build walls. For, for good reasons. You can understand their logic, right? I am unclean. I don't want to be... I don't want to be... Uh, sorry, I am clean. I don't want to be infected by other people. So I'm going to build a wall between myself and them so that I can stay clean. So I can worship God. You understand the logic? But Jesus said, no. Because he that's in you will bring the cleansing into them. And that's why Jesus was so revolutionary in their thinking. They were going, hang on a minute. If this is true, then the whole, all of our rules and our laws and everything else start breaking down. 
Because we're building all these, we have all these rules and these laws which are there designed to keep me clean. And if Jesus is going, but I, I can touch all the unclean ones and, and they'll become clean because I, I've got more cleanliness in me than they have uncleanliness in them. Like it over, overrides them. When we have communion, we, do the, we say the same thing. How are you saved? By the blood of Jesus Christ has set you free. His blood is like that. The very thing that would make you unclean, His blood is the very thing that has cleansed you, that has made you clean, that covers you and washes you and allows you and the power of God through you to go and touch other people and make them clean. Now I want to ask you, when you see people that are on the outside, when you pray for things, do you run towards them or do you build the barriers? You remember David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17? The Israelites were there, Goliath, huge guy, right? Standing up there, massive, up there somewhere, right? And biceps almost as big as mine, right? He was huge. That's why I wear floppy jumpers, so you can't tell how much I work out, right? He was huge, and he was up there, and what did little David do? What does it say, do you know? He picked up those stones, and he ran towards Goliath. Why? Because he said, I come against you in the name of the Lord God, the Almighty. I got no fear. The people of Israel, they were there in fear. But David, ah, uh -uh. why? Because he that was in him was greater than the Goliath that he was facing. He that was in the world. So he ran towards it. He broke down the barriers. What do we do when we see people? When you see someone that you, and you get that word from the Lord, go, go do something. Do you go, oh, no, no, I'm not getting involved in that because, you know what, that's going to, I haven't got time for this. It's going to mess my life up. I can't do this. Like, Lord, choose someone else. Or do you go, you know what, he that's in me, I, I can be a channel of what God is in me into their lives. I can lift them up. They're not going to pull me down. Because why? He that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. If you have that relationship with Christ, you know that's true. And Mark wants to say here and show us through the example of Jesus Christ just that thing. That Christ's authority is greater even than evil itself. When Christ commands, evil obeys. It has no choice. No choice at all. But let's go a little bit deeper. Because this passage is a mirror to the passage in some ways in Mark 4. That's the passage with Jesus in the boat that I was talking about. Let me explain it. Look. In Mark 1, 25 and 27, we read these words. Jesus says to the unclean spirit, Be quiet, he says sternly, come out of him. And the response was the people were so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. In Mark 4, he says, He got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and he said, What? Virtually the same thing. Quiet, be still. Same Greek word. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And what was the response? They were terrified and they asked each other, Who is this? Almost identical. 
Even the wind and the waves obey him. You see, first of all, Jesus rebukes both. In the Greek, it doesn't show it so much in the NIV, but in the Greek, it's quite clear. It's exactly the same word, pistomeo. He rebukes them. Rebuking means that you look at the, the inside and what you see is negative and you, you throw it away, right? It's, it's the rationale behind it. So he sees these spirits in this guy and he judges them effectively and said, they're no good, get them out of the way. He sees the wind and the waves, says they're no good, get them sorted, right? That's what it means to rebuke. He does the same thing, uses the same words. Secondly, be quiet, he says the same thing, he gives the same command in both situations. Thirdly, the response is the same. What is this? Who is this? Almost identical. Because the key that Mark wants you to understand is this. That even impure spirits or wind and waves obey Jesus Christ. The word obey is the same in both. Identical. Even the wind and the waves. Even the impure spirits obey him. That Christ has authority. He has authority over the natural world around us. He has authority over the supernatural world around us, the world in the spirit. Christ has the authority. And he wants you to know that and to understand that. Why? Because when you understand that he has complete authority... He has authority over your temptations. But he also has authority in the spiritual realm over the source of why you're being tempted. He's not just here to help you and say, you know what, I can help you through this and I can stand by you. But he has authority over what's calling it, causing it in the first place and said, I can deal with the root of the problem because I have authority there too. I can tell the spirits to be gone. I can tell the negativity to be gone. I can tell whatever it is that's causing trouble to be gone. And it goes. Jesus has that kind of authority. Why? Because God gave it to him. And what has Jesus done? He's given it to you and me. He's given you and me the same authority that Jesus Christ had. Do you believe that? Do you? You know how you can tell? Is the way you live your life and the way you pray. When you pray, do you pray with the same authority that Jesus has? Do you say to obstacles that are in your way, in the power of God be gone, and they go? When you pray for healing for people, do you say, God, if it's your will, be there? Or do you say, be gone? You have no authority in this person. They're a child of God. Now, there are caveats to that because you have to do it in the name of Jesus, right? You need to know this is the will of God in this instance. You can't just go around going, Lamborghini appear, and outside a Lamborghini, right? Sadly, for some unknown reason to me, that is not the will of God for my life. I don't understand that. It's still a mystery. But it's not true, right? I don't need a Lamborghini. It would ground itself over every hump in Heinz Road and probably break, right? But you don't. So you can't just manipulate it. But you have 
that same power and authority. I want you to think about that for a moment, just for yourself. The same authority that Christ. All authority on heaven and earth, Jesus said, has been given to me. Now, go. Make disciples. In Ephesians 1, beautiful passage, talks about the authority of God. And it says that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the same dunamis that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, here he comes, is available to you and to me. The same power that has seated Jesus at the right hand of the Father is available to you and to me. That is the power within Christ that you have. I want you to think about whether you're really living like that. Do you live with that kind of power and authority? Do you recognize that power and authority in your life? When you pray, do you pray, in the name of Jesus I'm commanding this and I'm commanding that because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And therefore I am using the power that God has given to you Because he that's in you is greater than anything you can ever face. You know that? Today, I believe this is what God wants to say to you. I want my children to recognize the power that I have given to them. Because most of us, you know what it's like? It's like you've been given this amazing supercomputer. And all you ever do is play patience on it. You know, it's a computer that could, that could sort out a cure for the coronavirus and sort out a cure for cancer in our world, but you just sit there at this massive computer that could do all these things and all you do is play patience. And you go, no, no, I'm happy just playing patience, thanks. And somebody says, hey, yeah, but this could... This could this could do so much. And you go, no, 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 I'm fine. You see, most of us are like that. We live our lives like that, don't we? In truth. That we sit there with the power and we say these things and we proclaim them when we sing about how great God is and, and yet we don't put it into practice in our life. We don't open ourselves up to the power and the potential of God in us. You know the thing I love about the Bible is that the people in there outside of Jesus Christ were just ordinary people that did amazing things. And the only reason they did them was because they were willing and they opened themselves up. They accepted the power of God in their lives and they brought transformation and change. What about you? today I want you to think right now if you could ask God for one thing what would it be what would it be you could ask God for one thing for yourself for your life or for the life something that's laid on your heart or maybe the life of people around you I'm not talking about world peace here right I'm talking about you what would you ask God for 
I want you just to turn to the person next to you and tell them. Tell them what it is. Speak it out. Say, if I could ask God for one thing, right now this is what I would ask God for. Why don't you tell them? In confidence, just tell them. And when you ask yourself, what you shared, is this what God wants for you? Is this something that God really wants in your life? And if it is, I want you just to pronounce it into being. He that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. God has given you the power and the authority that he gave Jesus Christ. I can do all things, all things, through Christ who gives me strength. If this is what God wants you to do, if this is a prayer that God wants answered, why don't you just pronounce it right now and give him the thanks and the praise. I believe God wants to show you his power and his strength in action. For too long we've been building walls and feeling afraid. He wants to show you his power. Pronounce it. Speak it out. And see what God does. Father, I want to thank you and praise you because we don't just serve a powerful God. We serve a God who has invested that power in us. He that is in me is greater, far greater than anything that is in this world. And it's not like being a superhero, like an Avenger or something, that we just have one power, or one this or one that. We have the power of God flowing through us, wherever, whenever we need it. It comes, it's available. Help us to open ourselves so that that becomes a reality in us. Teach us what it means, not only to serve a God of authority, but to recognize that same authority within us. You said to Joshua all those years, I have commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. Jesus, through your spirit, you're with us. So may we say no to fear. And may we live powerful lives for you. Giving you all the honor and the glory. May we go into situations and bring Christ. Bring the cleanliness and the transformational power of Christ and make those unclean situations clean again, drawing people to yourself, Father. For we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.